to be to Turkish astrology is very difficult to properly explain. I myself am just a student, as you know. Uh, it's a, I'm a, in many ways a beginner. Even though I have what seems to you a vast amount of information is it, uh, on astrology, for me it's just a, a tiny, tiny portion. I haven't been allowed to to study it as much as I would have liked in this life because I've got so many other duties. Mm. And DK, as you, you know, look at the book, there's 742 pages, including um, index, and he says in the, at the beginning of his book that it's also very difficult for him to write about it because it's such a vast subject. It's the science of life. It's the science of all that is. It's our hierarchical science. It's the science of the law of Shambhala. And to try to codify it in such a small book. And, of course, with this book, you've got to add the 1,300-odd pages of cosmic fire because the two books are one. So all you can do is give the bare outline of the subject. And so in many ways, that's all I can do. And then I can only give you much less. So... For all of you, you have to be able to read the book and study it. And on the whole, over time, it's more for me to answer a lot of questions. Mm-hmm. I'll give you, you know, uh, the outline, of course. But in many ways, it necessitates you properly reading and studying because I can't give you much more than what's in the book because of the vastness of the information. Would it be interesting to have, for example... All the sign of the zodiac, and you give us the exoteric point of view briefly because that we can read everywhere, and then you give us the esoteric meaning of each sign of each planet, etc. Because that, for me, it is the the foundation of the teaching. There's information in my books, and of course in DK's writings. But before you even get to the twelve signs of the zodiac, you have to go over the hurdle of the twelve creative hierarchies. And, and he, DK gives that right at the beginning of his book, page 34 to 35. And so to explain them, what is a hierarchy of what humanity is only one, one out of 12. Before that, I'll go into a few simpler things, such as esoteric symbology. Because when you're looking at the signs of the zodiac and you're looking at the, the, the signs, the glyphs that that are written in astrology for the planets, for instance, you're going really just into the meaning of symbolism. And in one of these pages, right at the beginning somewhere, he speaks of the numbers 7 plus 7 plus 2. And then he points out that that, you know, there's a mystery of astrology that's hidden there. And so, But what his real hint there is, is that it's tied in with esoteric numerology. So these esoteric sciences are quite intricately linked. Of course, I'm here rather than being in Australia, for instance, where we all could be, with a blackboard or whiteboard and I could write things and explain things that way. So it makes it much more difficult through, through Skype. First of all, let us look at some of the symbols, which is probably the best way to start off. And um, we'll start off with the moon. DK points out that the moon is dead and has no astrological influence upon the planet. It's, it's a corpse and there's a certain psychic influence upon, upon those that are merely mystic. We're looking at the, probably the first page 13. The moon is a dead form. 
That's no emanation at all. This is why the moon is spoken of in ancient teachings as regarding either Vulcan or Uranus. It is purely symbolic in nature. We all know, all of you have been doing full moon meditations, new moon meditations, and what the moon really represents is a gate, a doorway to cosmos. It's what I call an opening gate. Now, the symbol for the moon is the crescent moon. And the crescent moon can go from right to left or from right, uh, left to right. As you know, the moon, the, the symbol is different in the northern hemisphere and the, the southern hemisphere, so the crescent is in a different way. And it's quite interesting that the Muslims take the moon and the five-pointed star as their symbol, the crescent moon. The moon is an opening door. It opens and closes what? the oncoming of the light of the sun. So the waxing and the waning moon is just simply that door, that veil. So the moon veils, as the DK says, Vulcan essentially for average human beings and Uranus for disciples and initiates. Uh, it veils those types of energies that come through that planetary form or that Therefore, the mystery of the moon, of course, is explained in got to do with its destruction because of black magic activity on it. And there's much still for everyone to learn what transpired on the moon, why its form was abruptly disintegrated. I explained this in my um, secret doctrine in the relevant chapter there. But astrologically, what we're looking at with the symbol and you've got the crescent shape, it's just simply the symbol for the opening door of the waxing and waning of certain energies that can pass through it in relationship to cycles of meditation. Now, the crescent shape symbolically is the shape of the psyche. Uh, I, we use it to, to form lunar form because in many ways it veils the astral body. The astral shade or the astral body is lunar in its nature. It lives, it's autoluminous, the astral plane itself. But the psychic influence, the psychic nature, the mini-mystic qualities of people that are lunar, that are influenced by the moon, are, is this astral, it's the watery quality of the great illusion. It's the transience of, of people's emotions. And therefore, another sign that can be um, veiled by the moon itself is Neptune, but it's more of a sun. That's one reason why exoterically and even esoterically Cancer is ruled by the moon, because Cancer is the most watery of the signs. When, if there's any influence of the moon, it's got to do with this uh, mediumistic, psychic of individuals that don't have a mind, that the minds are not ruling them at all. It's their psychicism. It's the childlike state of a very young child engrossed in a play where there's no mind involved. So you all understand this quality of, of mediumism and the lunar form. And also, when I look at the moon and this form of psychicism, I'm looking at dark brotherhood activity that which has its genesis in the ancient moon, what is the, the mother of our particular planet. 
a lot of forms. The form of degenerate uh, black magic, sex magical practices as governed by the moon. And therefore, you get the witchcraft, etc. They worship the moon and they have the symbol of the crescent moon as the symbol of their feminine deities. You're looking at that which is associated with death, dying, lack of mind, psychicism, and its negative connotations. DK points out when the moon appears in the natal chart that it relates, therefore, to the past, to past life activities. Wherever you find the moon in the natal chart, you're looking at it in relationship, therefore, to the leads it gives you to the the person's psyche, a hidden persona to that which was developed in their early on in their life, in their childhood, or, um, in other words, those hidden um, devils, so as to speak, those mental, emotional attitudes that leave a mark in a person's psyche and it can come out in a really bad or negative way later. And earlier on in former lives, so the influences of this astral world that most people live in from past lives. So if you understand the nature of watery activity, watery emotional activity and relationship to childhood, uh, you all know, you know the pubescent years, the way you all ruled then. And that type of influence is lunar. The sun and its symbol is, of course, the solar disk with a dot in the center relating to self-consciousness haven't created a ring past knot of illumined mental activity. So the sun and the moon, you know, like the moon shines in the night and it shines by reflected light because it's the personality, the personality life. And the sun is the ruler of the day, of the gaining of wisdom. In terms of yoga philosophy, therefore, lunar forces are the Ida, and the solar forces is the Pingala. And in all tunkers, or most tunkers, you'll have the moon and the sun up top there in the sky because it veils, the, the symbols veil the Ida and Pingala Nadi. The Ida Nadi is lunar because it relates to the personality forces, to all the forces that develop the mind. The Pingala is solar because it relates to the forces of the sun of the principle of love, the development of wisdom. You get, remember in exoteric astrology, uh, when we're looking at the patterns of the signs, the moon and the sun were the two signs, um, Cancer and Leo, which they rule, from which we're looking at the patterns. From Leo, the sun, and then the next sign is the ruled by the Mercury and then the sign after that is Venus and so forth, um, skipping the Earth, until you get to Uranus. And then from Uranus, uh, you go backwards to Jupiter in Pisces, Mars, and then Venus towards the Moon in exoteric astrology. So you see their rulership. One is the, the luminary that lights, that is embodied deity, and it symbolizes your heart and the energies of the heart, which is the sun, and therefore... Leo is ruled by the sun esoteric, exoterically and hierarchically because the sun veils the soul. Whereas the moon 
is the form, the samsara, it's the great illusion. It, it governs everything that is illusional. And the phases of the moon also indicate the, the cycles of the personality. So one is the sun, solar, life, and the other is the personality, the form, and samsara, always the transient changing. And also, of course, we know that in the night time, you have all of the psychic elements that are awakened, what you might call the shades of the night, the denizens of hell that can come to the surface. So here we have these two types of influences, and both of them, the sun vials, other planets, I mentioned, for instance, Neptune for the sun and Jupiter and Uranus, I think, and then also the moon vials, Vulcan and Uranus. So they are substitutes for other planetary influences. As the symbol of the moon, the crescent shape is the symbol of the psychic, of the psyche. So where it appears in the glyphs of, of the planets, so we get, we, we can interpret those planets or the signs, for instance, Taurus the bull, in relationship to the crescent. Now the crescent is only an arc, a portion of, of the full circle. So at the, you can see that the, the portion of the circle is cut at a certain time, which means a certain angle at looking at that particular symbol. One of the things that is very important for everyone to fully, absolutely, absolutely fully understand are the cardinal directions, north, south, east, west, what they mean, and the intermediate directions, the eight directions of um, space and time, the eight directions of the compass. This particular, these eight directions, absolutely basic in your esoteric learning. And it's for this reason, in the Treatise on Mind, those seven volumes, um, I go into these eight directions over and over and over again, explaining the aspects of Buddhist philosophy in relationship to them. But just to be absolutely clear, for me anyway, um, the four cardinal directions between the East and the West, when you are present on the graphic, you... East is on the left and the west is on the right. Is it correct? Because it is facing you? If, um, if you open up a page and you're looking at the page, it's your left, yes. Um, but if you're coming from the book, it's the right because it's facing you. It's the same as if you're watching, if you have a Buddha sitting in front of you, your left is his right. Yes, true. Mm hmm. On the chart, when you present the west is on the right and the, the east on the left, or, or the opposite? When it's on a chart, when it's actually written on the paper, it's, it's um, your left is the right, is the way of the heart. But on the page, it's actually correct. In other words, it's the right. The east is on the right. Just imagine the page is a three-dimensional form. Yeah, it's mostly the graphic representation. The rest I have no problem, but it's a yeah. graphic representation. Just imagine, just always think of, the, of my graphic representation as a Buddha yeah. sitting in front of you, where his okay. right is your left. And that's all you need okay. to do. The graphic representation okay. is the Buddha in front of you, uh, where his right is your left. Mm -hmm. And it's always something facing me. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, okay. And of course, east is inwards to the heart, west is outwards to the field of service. North is upwards um, to divinity, 
and south is downwards mm -hmm. into the little ones. The intermediate positions is the northeast is unity, and unity is the unified expressions of all your brothers and sisters. For instance, the four of you working a unit, that's northeast. Normally I start when I'm interpreting most comms, most points in the noble eightfold path, etc. I start with this northeast position because it's incoming entities from outside the system to the system, which is the wheel that we're looking at, right? So the incoming energies come from the northeast, and which is the energy of unity. And then they get expressed in the southeast direction, which is expression into the field of manifestation. That's the southeast. They get expressed, the energies come, they go to the center, they whirl around in, in the wheel, and then I get expressed in the southeast, which is the field of expression of learning. And then the southwest, which leads towards giving in the field of service, is the field of understanding. You gain your major experiences in the southeast, you gain your understandings in the southwest, and then you go out again with that understanding as an enlightened being or liberated being or whatever level of knowledge you're going through in the northwest direction, which is goodwill, which is the emanatory cry. Oh, Eureka, I've discovered it. Wow, I now understand it. And then the cycle starts again. Um, I know this is really basic, so it's sort of um, right to ask some questions about this, but I find it unusual that southwest is understanding whereas southeast is expression when the east is inward to the heart and uh, south so it's, it's kind of a it, it's an anchored inward to the heart but i would have thought that represents understanding whereas west is in you know outward into the field of service yeah but at this particular stage you have to look at this particular circle right you, then you've got the eight cardinal directions in a circle and if you uh, look at the horizontal line, and that above the horizontal line is divinity, which is really the way of the heart. And that below is your diaphragm. Uh, so the, the, the horizontal line is your diaphragm. That below is your emotions. So you're entering into the emotional world or Lemurian Atlantean activity in this field of expression, which is eventually will lead to the heart. But at this stage, it's watery. And it's the same for all children. They go through a watery stage before they learn to use their brains. And some people don't get out of that watery stage ever in this life, as you know. So the expression is the watery expression. And then in the Western direction, you start to use your mind more. And you come to an understanding of, oh, gee, if I do that again and again and again, I'm going to suffer. I'm not going to do that anymore, right? Four noble troops can be put on this. The four crosses of I've done, the forms or arms of the fixed cross. So you say no, no more, and then you go to the northwest direction and you say, well, um, I've gained that um, now for the next cycle. And so it becomes recycled and recycled. So the other thing to do with this particular in between the intermediary arms of, of these cross is that is the mutable cross. Unity, um, expression, understanding, and goodwill. So you're thinking of the mutable cross interrelated with the fixed cross, which are the four main arms. The cardinal cross comes later. 
The cardinal cross is the cross of spirit, of liberation. The fixed cross is the cross of almost virtually the understanding. And the mutable cross is the cross, the cross of mutable experience in samsara. So once you have an understanding, you fix it in consciousness, then you go through the next level of mutable experience to gain another understanding. You fix it in consciousness and you use it to master the next level and the next level. Everything is mutable and related. So you can't, like yin and yang, something is yin in relationship to something else that is yang, and that yang is yin in relationship to something else, and so it goes on. And likewise with these crosses, these two crosses. Well, one is spirit, spirit the other one is soul, and the other one is matter. And it's very, very, very light, consciousness and form. A cardinal is fixed, determined resolution. If you look at the cardinal cross, the way it's actually drawn is an arrow. Uh, and the arrow is based on the fixed cross. So the arrow, the top point of the arrow, is can be faced in any of those four directions, or actually any of the eight directions. And it's fixed, determined, resolution, meaning by, I mean by, by what I mean by fixed, determined, resolution, is to fire the arrow with resolution to escape the ring pass knot or whatever you are engaged in. That's the cardinal cross. It's, if you think of the archer, firing an arrow where the bow is taut, and then finally the arrow is let loose, that's the cardinal cross. And the cardinal cross forms a fixed cross. So it moves from the fixed cross to the cardinal. Okay, so when you understand those three crosses, uh, as I mentioned before, the, um, the exoteric astrology, the three crosses, the, the 12 signs of the zodiac, uh, either fixed cardinal or mutable. And we have to apply that also esoterically. And what I was trying to point out is mutability. The, the cardinal signs start with Aries. Um, the fixed stars start with Taurus and immutable with um, Gemini. Or you can go upwards towards Capricorn. So once you've got the head, then the two arms and the legs uh, um, come into expression. It's like a human being, incidentally. It's, if you look at Leonardo da Vinci's famous um, picture, we are, we are a pentagram, right? We have a head, two arms, two legs. We're standing within the sphere, and we circumscribe the sphere. But if uh, we put our two legs together and two arms out, we are really a fixed cross. And so we are either symbolized by the four or the five, depending on which way one wants to look at it. And it's quite important sometimes to think of you or yourselves as a fixed cross, as a crucified being within samsara. As I said, it's quite important to thoroughly understand the, the cross of direction. Now, this cross of direction is um, the cross of movement in space, the cross of travel and, and cosmos. You can think of space as being innumerable, myriads, of little eight-pointed uh, eight, um, spheres all interrelated with each other. And there we have one aspect of the grid work of space or of the nadis. It's not as simple as that because um, one has to look at the, the five, also the, pentan, the pentagram. With exoteric astrology, remember you went from Aries up in the northern direction, so you went from Aries to Pisces and from Pisces to Aquarius. 
Um, whereas in Eastern Turkish astrology, we travel the other way. We go from Aries to Taurus and then to Gemini. And so in our form of astrology, Aries is the first point of the cardinal cross. Taurus, the head of the sixth cross, and Gemini, the head of the beautiful cross. It's quite interesting just to throw a spanner in the works for you. I've just made Gemini the head of the mutable cross, but esoterically, Gemini is the sign of the cosmic Christ. <laughs> so you can see that what I'm trying to point out is this concept of mutability. It's very important to understand it. Why is Gemini the sign of the cosmic Christ? Well, uh, it's dual with the immortal brother and the mortal brother. And the immortal brother is the Christ. And it's the only sign in the immortal sign part where there's no deviant. Okay, let's just, you know, the holy of the holies, the Aditium is in Gemini. So all initiates come to administer to that holy of holies, which is administered, of course, by the immortal brother, by the priest or priestess. So just there's a little bit of that particular sign. And they're actually second ray stars, aren't they? I remember you were doing um, astrology. Ago. Uh, it's not that easy for, for me to say secondary stars and secondary stars at the stage. And remember, it's something like 10, 15 years at least since I've done my cosmology. So, so my knowledge now is quite vague. I'm going back to glyphs again, but I've um, diverged with this particular cross of direction in space because it's, as I said, absolutely uh, the bare minimum of what you need to know is esotericists basis of, of understanding everything. Uh, you can apply the, the path of initiation to it, etc. Everything uh, that you can think of is applied to these three crosses, or should be applied to these three crosses. No matter that in time, you'll think in terms of them. In, in Buddhism, uh, for instance, they, they use the three crosses in terms of, for instance, they oh, no, many, many times, but for instance, just one example is that there are three types of students. Those with dull knowledge, those with average understanding, and those with superb understanding that, for instance, the sutra or the tantra only need to be read out to them once, and they immediately get the gist of it. The dull knowledge of the average individual, and they need to be told again and again and again and again. And they may take years and years to learn the basics, whereas those of medium understanding are the aspirants. So you get average humanity, aspirants and disciples, and initiates. And there again, you have the three wheels, uh, the three crosses. And it's just simply a, a, a differentiation of energy. One is manifest activity. The other one holds the fort in terms of the, the love principle. And the other one is dynamic in terms of the use of the mind and the focus of the will. The cardinal cross is will. The fixed cross is love. And the middle cross is activity, dynamic activity uh, when it comes to the higher level. For instance, I, as an initiate, am ruled by the mutable cross. Why is that? Because I'm third ray. The third ray is mutable. The second ray is the, uh, the uh, is, is the fixed cross, and the first ray is cardinal. Just from the point of view of the rays, and then you can be that can be reflected by the fourth ray again into the seventh, the sixth, and the fifth rays. Where the seventh ray is cardinal, um, the sixth ray is fixed, even though it's so watery and emotional. And the third ray, or the mind, is mutable. 
But the six ray is a lot of fixity about it as well. I mean, it's that yeah, devotion. It what is devotion? It is fixed on a point, isn't it? And it's it, but it's. Whereas the mind is, uh, the mind can get very, very fixed with ideas, but the mind is always inquiring, thinking about things, um, discerning, probing, looking, and so forth. Uh, but that's the way it's reflected. Whereas the ritual of the first rate type produces an intensity to be able to accomplish things on the physical plane. And there you have the cardinal <coughs> cross. And then with her watery nature can focus yourself on a particular image or idea quite well, but in other cases she can be lost in mutable wateriness. And then with her fiery mind uh, manifested in a lot of activity as she uh, inquires about this and that, so, for instance, thesis work and so Anyway, there you have it. So you've got, for instance, now we've just talked about the four and the eight. And then the other thing I want to point out is you get... The heart center itself, when you're looking at the diaphragm center, the diaphragm center works as a heart center at the early stages of evolution and for most of humanity at that emotional stage. It's only later that when you become more cardinal that the heart center awakens. That's just a little thing. What I'm trying to say is the movement of the heart is actually governed by um, the eight spokes of the wheel. Is that because to channel that kind of love nature whilst the water requires will and then with that touch of will, the diaphragm expression of love becomes flowered in, in the full heart, requires that yes. seed of direction? There's, there's much to do with that. Also, if, for instance, you've studied Buddhism, you know, for instance, they look at nadis in terms of 72, 72,000 nadis. Anyway, what I was trying to get to, that is um, really relates to, to a diaphragm center activity rather than the heart. But look, you can see we, go, we have to look at numbers. We're looking at, you know, for instance, the number four, the number eight. We're looking at patterns. And then we're looking at triangles before, as I just pointed out. A higher three gets reflected into a lower three. And the science of triangles is very much integral to the science of astrology. As DK points out in his later chapters, it's even called the Science of Triangles. Is virtually his last chapter, and one of them, yeah, the Science of Triangles, because it's so important. You have to think in terms of triangulation. I normally have to think in terms of when I'm looking in terms of cosmology, three energies. I'm always looking for a third. Sometimes I say, well, maybe it's a planet, something like that. Uh, the Science of Triangles. Let's go back to the glyphs. The circle or the sphere is the spirit, relates to the spiritual aspect. The triangle relates to the soul. Uh, therefore, for instance, you have in the soul, in the causal form, three groups of three petals. And the square relates to the form or the personality. It is that which um, offers obstacles or hindrances to everything. It's inert. You, know, you can roll a, a ball around easy enough. It's quite hard to push a square around uh, the triangle sort of in, is in between the two yeah, if you... so anyway you get the idea of these three symbols and these three falling into the, into the square manifests the, the pentagram esoterically we're getting to the seven the three higher the four, the three reflected and the one that's the mirror 
and these are the seven planetary rulers, the seven rays, the seven you know sounds of an octave. You have to again also look at the seven chakras. So the number seven, the number seven plus three is ten. The number seven plus three plus two is important. The numerology fits into this. So when you think numerologically, you're also thinking astrologically. When you're thinking rays, you're also thinking astrologically. Later on, you know, we're looking at Vulcan, for instance, of the first ray or Pluto, and the two rays are different. Jupiter is the second ray. So you can, we'll later on look at the astrological, the planets in terms of the ray lines that they convey. Going back to Glyph, to more background, so you can see it's somewhat difficult because it's actually a vast amount of information. And this is the science. This is our science, the esoteric sciences, is astrology. Everything is incorporated into it. I got sidetracked with glyphs because um, we are looking at an arc of a circle. And then when you're looking at the arc of a circle, I said, for instance, the moon is, is literally just a, an arc of a circle, but you get the crescent horn of the, of the of Taurus, for instance, yeah. of another arc of a circle that's rising out of a form. Now, that arc of a circle is is focused in a certain direction. You may get, for instance, the, the sign of Jupiter, which has two arcs of a circle. All of you should know the signs by now, the glyphs of the signs of the plants, etc. And so they're in a different direction. So, uh, Jupiter doesn't have two arcs. Well, it does. There's one arc that goes down and another arc at the bottom. Uh, that at, um, One arc at the side and another arc at the bottom. Uh, and then there's a line mm-hmm. that cuts it. Well, what you're looking here is two, two arcs. Two arcs. And the arcs, and I, I had to divert into the forearms of the, you know, the, the, the crosses because it depends on the orientation of the arcs. It uh, depends on whether you're from below looking upwards or from above looking downwards or from the east looking inwards and from the west looking inwards or outwards. So it, you can see this brings in an, another subject which is quite interesting, and that's language. Our esoteric, use the term senza, the ancient, ancient language. It's the language of symbols, the old glyphs of the Maya points. So there's a form of language that is also used esoterically, which is based on symbols. And of course, you know the symbols, for instance, in ancient Egypt. Those symbols are quite interesting to try to analyze. So the ancient languages that use symbols even sort of the Hebrew is fire language, it's symbols again. But there's a certain type of symbolism that one can read as an initiate that uh, relates to these three circles. The central circle is spirit, the next circle is the soul, the outer circle is that of the form or activity, the three crosses again. And it's the eye, right? So, you know, the light of the eye. If the eye is single and how much, you know, the whole body should be full of light. Look, so this eye is the monad. So you've got the central sphere, the the pupil as the the will, or the, the cardinal cross aspect, the spirit. The next sphere, which is the iris, is the, the love wisdom principle. And then the third sphere, the white of the eye, is the activity principle. So this is the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost. Oh, you're all writing down, are you? 
it's, it's actually wonderful to know how much esotericism is hidden in that eye. I'll give you uh, another thing to do with esoteric symbolism and the language associated with it is if a symbol is inside a circle and the difference between a symbol inside a circle and outside a circle or leaving the circle. I'll give you an example again. You have, for instance, mercury. Mercury has a crescent moon on top of a sphere on top of a plain cross. It would be completely different interpretation if that plain cross was inside the sphere and the crescent moon was rising above it than a plain sphere rising above a plain cross rising above uh, with, with a crescent moon rising above it. Here you have, for instance, in the case of Mercury, three symbols, but at, interpreted at three levels of expression. Uh, so this, as you can see, it's very difficult to try to explain to you about being able to draw on, on blackboards and things and quickly, quickly try to teach you the language of each tree. Symbolism. But if you look at that which is enclosed within a sphere, it's closed a sphere of matter, like inside a tanka, you know, like in a mandala. Everything in that mandala is enclosed within a sphere, right? And it contains numerous other entities, and there could be spheres of inside that. And normally, the, the tankas have three different circles of spheres, sometimes five. The five relate to the five Dhyani Buddhas, or the five levels of expression with the Dhammadhatu in the center, and then the Akshobhya level, and then the Amitabha level, and then the Ratna Samarva level, and finally we get the Omogasiddhi level on the outside and so forth. And or you get the center fire and so forth. What I'm trying to get to is that you actually have to understand the nature of concentric spheres and the symbolism of them. It can be five, but will will relate to the three because that is the the way to look at astrology. There's no signs that take more. So if it's inside a sphere, it means it's inside divinity. It's contained within the form of a, a logo sphere of activity. If it's outside the sphere, like the plain cross, then it generally refers to the world of the personality. Okay, so you have like look at the symbol for Earth, right? It's a um, fixed cross inside a circle. So that's right. So would you be saying that that is? Um, the soul is surrounded by spirit? In the symbol of the earth, yes, it's enclosed by the mind of deity. It's an embodied logoic form. If it's outside, if it's just a plain fixed cross, it would refer to you or me and our activity. But in these particular cases, there's different ways. I'm not going to go too much into it. There's a little bit of rule by thumb way of these things. Uh, I always thought Venus was like a spirit triumph over matter, the, the, the fixed cross being matter and, and the sphere being spirit. And That's right. That is correct. And the same with Mercury, where you've got the, the cross outside of a circle, which is matter, the material form, and those four arms that we've mentioned before. Above that is the rise of spirit. And above that is the, the symbol of the psyche. 
However, in this particular case, you can see the circle of spirit that is risen above the cross of matter has to be, in this particular case, the circle of the soul. And above that, the psyche is an arc of the spirit, of the dharmakaya, that the Mercurian is aspiring towards. And it comes in the form of two hands, or the, the horns of the bull, which are literally dual. It gives you the Ida and Pingala aspect. So it's the crescent aspiring into the domain of the monad from the soul, having mastered the personality which Mercury is about. Therefore, it's the messenger of the gods. It reaches up into the spiritual, the monadic, and it um, lives in the domain of the soul and has mastered the personality to which it projects its energies. And therefore, it's the mediator. And for this reason, one reason why Mercury is the fleet-footed messenger of the gods and why he rules in exoteric astrology, such things as businesses, cars, travel, this type of activity. But literally, he is intuition, wisdom, because of this um, triune style. And what, of course, Mercury is receiving is the downward-pouring energies from spirit, because it represents the little ones looking up to Shambhala or Cosmos, and from Cosmos into the cup, which is that horn um, above Mercury, which is also in a form of cup or chalice, it's poured the energies that it then distributes through the four arms of that cross. And that's his wisdom. Of course, in the proper and the full explanation of Mercury, then, you have the caduceus, the entwined serpent that goes around that cross, which relates, of course, to the, the Kundalini energy, the Ida and Pingala Nadis of those two forms, or the dual portion of the, of the present. Another way that that's represented, Bodo, is that with Mercury is that they put the dot in the middle, so it's the sun and the moon fused together with the moon sort of eclipsing the top of the... Yeah, but that's, I don't know, Rosicrucian, the alchemical symbol. The, the ancient alchemists did that, and it had to do with mother-father uniting, um, which is the divine androgyny, which is Mercury in this particular case, in their alchemical symbolism. The real Caduceus stuff, there's no dot in the middle. But, no, um, it's, the, it's the left and right nadi. Um, unified. It's the two serpents twirling. Well, together. the serpents, but they grow into wings. The wings are on the either side of what is really a solid disc. Can be seen with a dot in the centre. Yes, yeah, you, yeah. you can be right from there, but it's not normally depicted as such. But it's okay. So that's that's the sign Mercury. So so anyway, you're getting an idea of of symbols. We'll start off with the first of the signs, Aries. Now, what is every symbol rise by? The horns. Yeah, yeah. And it's, um, so if you draw the symbol of Aries, what do you get? You get what's called the downturned horns of, of the ram. When you're looking at the signs of the zodiac, you're actually looking at cosmological entities. This particular symbol of Aries is quite important. And what you really get all of you understand the significance of the ram. It's one of the most esoteric of all the symbols, the ram's horn. It's spiral cyclic motion. So one is spiral cyclic motion, turning from right to left, and the other one is from left to right. Uh, then they move upwards and downwards to meet at the point. And that point is 
the furthest descent of matter, right? It's the eye. It's the, the focal point of the eye in samsara. And so it directs samsara by means of one point, that atom, that atomic unity, which is the eye, which is the atom itself, the permanent atom and so forth. You can think of one side of the ram's horn as positive, the other one negative, or one side as masculine, the other one feminine, one side is Ida, the other side is Pingala. But or what you might call a logoic perspective, it's the first sign of, of the zodiac, and therefore it relates to the ability of the ram you know, to use its head to ram for um, any new cycle of activity, to instigate that which is new, to leave its footprint in samsara. It doesn't embody samsara, it just touches it and then moves on. This is the first ray impetus. So you've got the downward spiraling energy of the mind of God, I use the term mind of God, down to create or to impetus matter. And that's the downward spiraling motion of one horn. And then you get the response of that is within matter upwards to ascend again to become deity, which is the other horn. So it kind of symbolises the whole evolutionary process, doesn't it? Yes, the beginning and the ending. Mm-hmm. I am Alpha and Omega, says the Lord. And so Aries symbolises the Alpha and the Omega. And fittingly so, is it not for the first sign of the Zodiac? After Pisces, Aries starts a new cycle um, on a higher level of activity or experience. So there you get an idea of the ram, and also you can think of it as masculine or the and the feminine, the interrelationship to produce the child, which is that point at the very, very bottom of the rams of the descending spiral. The other way to interpret it, Aries is the concept of the ram, uh, something really hard, solid, and with lots of energy, banging into another ram. And they go, thump, thump. <laughs> <laughs> and they'll do that until one's the victor. Or if somebody in samsara, with their will of mind, determined to get something achieved or determined to make mountains of money or determined to, whatever, overcome obstacles, uh, being obst- you know, obstinate, for instance, obstinance of mind, the will of mind, this is all area. That's quite simple, is it not, to, to have in your minds, to think of the area and type. And it's first ray uh, energy that can go amok or that it can rule the mind. Or it can get very, very fixated on an idea. Isn't it a sentence sort of that's the direction that your chart is going? That's the direction your chart is going, but you always have to look at the aspect. But it means your future is full of will. Uh, This shows you how truthful your chart is, doesn't it? Yes. It's quite an abstract sign, isn't it? I mean, like even though, like you're saying about the rams butting heads and people can have a notion of Aries, you know, as sort of classic just in there and it's just kind of not quite chaos but, you know, intensity and, and motion. But it, it's a certain, it's a quite, I, I think of it as quite a first ray sign. Like it's quite abstract too, don't that you That is like uh, absolutely a first ray sign. Aries rules the abstract mind. I was sort of sorry saying that in relation to Aries was her ascendant because, you know, maybe she's thinking, well, I've got a lot, quite a lot of this kind of 
brute force in terms of making things happen, right? She's kind of quite Aries in a way already, but I was, I was pointing... Yeah, but you have to look at it in terms of what it symbolises esoteric. Mm-hmm. The key is the abstract mind. I'm presently working on the secret doctrine, and I'm writing right now on stanza 3-6. And stanza 3-6 is ruled by Aries, and it starts off with, like this. The root of life was in every drop of the ocean of immortality, and the ocean was radiant light, which was fire and heat and motion. Darkness vanished and was no more. And so there you have, it disappeared in its own essence. And so there you have the keynote to the area and the standard three six. Of course, this has all got to do with uh, cosmic hygienesis and how our star systems are formed and, and the Aryan impetus into it. And so when you finally get the knack of, of esoteric astrology, you'll be able to see all of the the signs of the zodiac and things you read and so forth, fun stuff. And when you're looking at the the signs, then you have to look at where these types of animals, normally the animals, live. Where does Aries live? It lives on the plains. Uh, it can also be quite quite a can live in quite rough terrain, the ram and the sheep, but normally they need green verdure, the green stuff, the activity around them. So they start cycles of activity the mind, the will of mind, the abstract mind. You can see the symbols that they come in uh, so many points. That's the reason why I like Buddhist art, uh, the tankas. It's just full of symbols. And of course, all religious art is the same. And so you learn to read those religious symbolism more. And then later on, it'll help you with begin the elementary deciphering of, of Egyptian hieroglyphics, for instance, or the Maya letter writing, something like that. Mm. Um, not that I'm an expert on those things, but it, you'll begin to understand where the esoterists that, that gave those languages, those symbolic lang- languages, came from. The um, symbolism, broadly speaking, is a second ray art. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I haven't yet. Um, and probably the symbols themselves, a second ray, and the treatise that describes the meaning of the symbols of third ray and the energy that is veiled by the symbol is first ray. Well, the first ray is the is the moving the moving pen that writes. Yes, it's the, I, I would have I would have said something like that. The second ray types it sees in terms of or visualises or learns in terms of plastic images symbols essences. They're sort of, con- of things, yeah. condensed concepts into a simple visual it's form. And then the mouth opens up and fumbles words trying to explain what it's seen or visualised. Okay, so from high cosmic mind, right from the cosmic mind, right through to the cosmic dense physical plane, that's the realm of Aries. Yeah, the Sukhma. Coming. That's the spiral. Yeah, it symbolises spiral psychic motion. And when you get into the spiral, you can see it's actually fourth dimensional spiral also. It spirals within itself mm. at right angles to itself. 